All right, we're on the air. Happy Friday, everyone. Today is Friday, February 16th, and this is episode 36 of Get Your Tech On, All Things Doxis. I'm Brady Volpe, founder of the Volpe Firm and Nimble This. With us today is John Downey, the prognosticator of cable. He's also CMTS technical lead of Cisco Systems. John, welcome, and thanks for being back with us. John, say hello. I can't believe <laughs> it takes a while. It's like I'm like a puppet, right? It's, it's that satellite <laughs> uh, connection, the satellite you're sitting on. There's a lot of delay. I'm like a minuet. Just control my arms. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's funny you said 36th episode. I'm like, my God, that's like three years worth, isn't it? And time is flying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one a month. We get, them, we get them going. Um, also, yeah. with us, also with us is Tal Offer, a Ravenclaw, and also Director, Product <laughs> Manager at Eris. Tal, thanks thanks so much for being back with us this month. Sure. Thanks, Brady. Thanks for having me. And I resent that. I'm a Gryffindor. Can't you see that? Oh, <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> so um, today we're going to be covering, um, well, let me, let me get to it. We're going to be covering um, a topic that is close to, to Tal's topic, uh, or actually one that you picked out. It is um, uh, cable access SDN orchestration. And uh, so that's, you know, define, software defined networking SDN orchestration. And we'll, we're going to get in that topic in just a minute. I want to cover just a couple of things in the news. Um, so Cable Labs just released the MacFi standard um, for so we've been talking a lot about RFI. This is the MacFi standard that came out. Um, but I, so I want to see if there was any any uh, discussion. So we talked about that a little last week. Any any thoughts on that? No, we can we can skip right over. <laughs> no, no, I I, I can start um, ready. So yeah, that's it's exciting times, right? If we have you know, so many different options we can offer to the operators and we have the ability to suggest the uh, integrated CCAP, remote FI, remote Mac and FI, and you know, going into Pond later on. So all of them are you know, part of the distributed access architecture trend that is uh, growing in our industry. The um, remote Mac and FI is another level of pushing down the functionality closer to the subscriber. Um, it's got a lot of benefits, of course, so, you know, can't wait to, to see that materialize. Um, the spec is still under the works, uh, so it's important to mention that there are, um, Eris is, um, you know, is actively a part of that as, as, uh, as a Cisco, of course, and we're um, very, uh, you know, copiously working on the details of that spec to make it available, to make it ready for, for deployment for the operators. I think that's going to be a very interesting you know, offer and uh, value proposition when it becomes ready. It's going to, to change some of the existing networks as we see them today. So, also in the news. I mean, from, from, oh, go ahead, John. Let me. I'd say from our side, you know, we've pushed remote fi to begin with for the simplicity. You know, the keep it simple, stupid kiss principle. Um, by keeping the fi alone, very simplistic uh, fi that doesn't really change once the spec is done. You keep that out in the field. Not much to do with it. It's very sturdy. In the meantime, between failures is a long time. You put the complexity more in a centralized location. I think it's funny that it'll tie in really good with what we're talking about today with orchestration and automation. If we do Mac 5, which we will also because we want to be technology agnostic and support the customer the best we can, um, there's more complexity will be in a node, which means if you need to update bug fixes, iOS, whatever, firmware, uh, that's going to be highly automated. It's going to have to be, right? We're going to end up with thousands of little CMTSs out in the field um, right. You know, that the Mac has a lot of functionality that's software driven. Uh, so that's going to have to have updates and things like that. So I think it's, this is a good segue. Yep. Great. So the other thing Cable Labs is doing is they just uh, pushed out the uh, the uh, FDX Mac layer. Uh, so first they came out with the FDX or Phi. Now they've come out with the FDX Mac. So that's continuing to push FDX uh, further along the line. So, you know, again, we talked about that last week or last month. Now we're just continuing to see FDX mature 
So again, we'll see how FDX continues to roll out. So open that up if you guys want to talk any all about that, FDX. That ties, it, that ties in just like what we said for the orchestration again. Because when we do FDX for this echo cancellation idea, that's going to have to have some quick automation to keep updating the equalizer, like equalizer coefficients, uh, the, the, the echo cancellation, uh, so that when one modem transmits, another modem doesn't get interference from that transmission. So your upstream downstream now is going to be full duplex, meaning uh, I could transmit in the upstream at 500 megahertz. Another modem could be receiving at 500 megahertz, you know, the same exact frequency, uh, but hopefully, you know, they're not interfering with each other depending on their separation, their isolation, um, and this echo cancellation as well. But that information has to be updated. It's got it's some type of automation has to do that updating. Is that update? Yeah, yeah I, I couldn't agree more, uh, John. That's, um, that's a great opportunity, again, for, for the automation and orchestration that we've been talking about. The, um, the FDX spec relies on uh, certain clustering of cable modems to make sure that uh, we transmit in the different areas of the spectrum such that modems will not interfere with each other. And to some extent, that's going to be done inside the uh, you know the node or or the you know inside the remote fire remote uh, remote McIntyre node, but it will also be done in you know the SDN orchestrator of the network to some extent. So it will definitely tie into to the topic that we have today. Um, the FDX is um, you know is, is a great opportunity for um, adding more upstream bandwidth to our cable operators, right? So many of them are seeing the challenges today of dealing with the telco offering going to high numbers on the upstream direction. Um, so a lot of our customers are definitely looking into um, looking into how they increase this upstream capacity. And FDX is the, you know, is a great segue. It's a great tool to, to be doing that. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how it materializes again, because uh, it requires node plus zero type of architecture. Right, that brings uh, with its, um, you know, with it, with it, uh, some challenges on the um, segmentation of the network, and how do you actually get the node closer to the subscriber to n plus zero condition? So yeah, that's that's going to happen, but it's it's going to take a little bit longer, right? We don't, uh, we see a lot of demos. There's a lot of talk about it, but until it really becomes, um, you know, a real proof, a real deployable solution, it's going to be a little bit more, uh, you know, until we get there. Awesome. So, so the last topic is, is you know, Cable Labs has been busy, but uh, SpaceX has also been busy. Elon Musk, this comes from Science News, has uh, just got uh, permission from the U.S. communications regulation to start putting satellites in space, specifically for communication, broadband commu communication, for people who live in really rural areas, like John Downey, who um, are <laughs> who are stuck without you know good communications and and so this is uh, you know I, I saw this and of course I thought of John and his poor poor video and poor audio that we all have to deal with <laughs> and so I just I like this yeah. article that says the FCC chairman Ajit Pai proposed a approval of an application by SpaceX to provide broadband services using satellites in the United States and worldwide so. Nice thing that SpaceX is doing. Hopefully, they put a satellite right over your house, John, very soon. <laughs> Are they? Uh, did you? Did they say it's a, a Leo, the low, low Earth orbiting? Uh, you know, I, is that I, what it is? Or they didn't really say. See if they say. I don't. I don't want to take up too much time looking at it. But uh, no, I, I don't know. I don't know for sure. But uh, I'll get to. Yeah. <laughs> I can send you a link to the article. Oh, you know, we we heard that Google was doing that a few years back in rural areas and uh, kind of developing countries, right, where, it's, where it was really hard to get with actual infrastructure to those remote areas. They were doing that with balloons at some point, right, high-orbiting high balloons. So, uh, you know, the satellite is kind of the, uh, the next-gen evolution of that one, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I do remember the balloons and also planes they were going to do, these these slow-flying glider planes that were going to supposedly provide yeah. uh, uh, broadband access as like well. Like drones? Yeah, like drones, basically. Yeah, utilize drones. <laughs> so. Sounds like a conspiracy that, that, to me. That's moving, that's moving too fast. <laughs> so, okay, so, so Tao, you have um, lots of experience with cable access, SDN orchestration, and, and I, I have to say this is something that I have not been on top of 
a lot. So I'm I'm looking forward to this this episode specifically to learn more about this. And I I would like to start off with saying, you know, what does this mean to the average cable operator? <laughs> oh my God, this this can mean a lot, right? So it can mean as little or as much as they would like it to mean. But I think that, you know, if we look at analogies from other industries, there is already some SDN orchestration and more basically automation. Let's make it simple, right? Let's not talk about the SDN and the kind of big acronyms. Let's just talk about how do you automate processes, right? And how do you actually orchestrate processes, which means when you want to manage two types of equipment, how do you make them work together? How do you make them uh, talk to one another or have the same configuration so that they will not, you know, you know, uh, overlap each other or interfere with each other. So think about it as in, in, this, in the kind of uh, more simpler terms of how do we make the network management more more efficient. And um, we've been seeing that happen already in uh, in the telco um, in the telco business. Uh, AT and T uh, has been doing some some steps in that direction. British Telecom has been uh, kind of fostering an incubator for. Uh, for SDN type of uh, development, there are you know, a lot of different specs that are starting to come out uh, for, for the last few years, like Mano and ONAP, and you know, lots of acronyms I'm not going to get into. But um, the, the point is that the whole idea of the SDN orchestration is to make the cable access network simpler to manage and more automated and reduce the cost that it takes to actually operate that cable access network. So do things like automate procedures that currently require a technician to be doing that and um, create more intelligence in the network management itself when it comes to potential, potential use of artificial intelligence, machine learning protocols that will all be able to leverage, um, you know, we will all be able to leverage those to make the access network more sophisticated, more intelligent, more self-healing, and more autonomous in its operation without the need to have a technician sitting there and clicking a mouse or typing CLI commands all the time. So it's all about, again, autonomous uh, operation, automation, and orchestration. Okay, so that's that kind of sounds like the 50,000-foot view of it, right? It is, right. Um, so how does, it, how does it start to to trickle down from the 50,000 foot view actually into equipment. I know last month we talked about provisioning RFI devices and stuff like that. Does it actually get into that level of detail where we're provisioning equipment or where does it start to actually impact, let's say maybe a technician or someone in the, that's operating in the, in the head end or like, where do we actually start to feel this? Yeah, so what you mentioned about the uh, the discussion from last month about remote FI device um, orchestration or management, that's a very good example for the start of this whole process, right? So once we have the distributed access architecture going into the field, we, we suddenly have so many different active components sitting in the field out there and need to be managed. You need to be managed automatically, right? Because you don't want to go and physically change the configuration on each one of them. And remote file devices are going to be the first type of uh, distributed access architecture devices that are going to be deployed out there. So what we talked about last month, I'm going to be kind of repeating that as a reminder that uh, we were talking about an application and a manager that basically onboards those remote file devices when they're in the field, you know, make them work out of the box, just like you uh, have a modem that starts to work when you put it out of the box and connect that to the network. We want to make the remote file devices work out of the box immediately being put into the network and we want to allow the operator the cable operator to manage that in an efficient way such that they will remember exactly where each node is located what software version is on it what configuration it has um, it can monitor its state it can change its parameters like power levels etc remotely and in an automated way so this is kind of a very good example for the first step, right? Today we manage CMTSs or CCAPs using CLI, potentially. Sometimes we have SNMP MIBs as the management tool. When we go to distributed access architecture, we suddenly need something bigger than that, something that will be the overarching manager for all those smaller devices out there and will basically be the first step into the SDN orchestration uh, type of product. Okay. Brady, let, let me give you uh, an interesting example that I've heard where things could, could go uh, a different direction for capacity planning. 
Uh, it's almost like load balancing. Instead of load balancing between downstreams and upstreams, we're load balancing between actual RPDs. Uh, before, you know, the cable MSOs and cable operators would say, all right, my node hit 85% utilization over a certain time frame, so I need to do a node split. I either do a physical node split or I add more frequencies and do load balancing. I call it, you know, uh, virtual splitting <laughs> versus physical splitting. Uh, now, if the RPDs are all off a digital network, there you don't physically have to combine and separate RF connectors. Uh, you can have an automation process that looks at all the RPDs and say, all right, this RPD is underutilized because it's a rural area. It's only five customers. This RPD is overutilized because it's a couple college kids. Uh, maybe I can combine those two to kind of share resources, and they're in the same service group. Um, I see some RPDs, a clustering of RPDs are oversubscribed. I could either assign more license to it or more capacity somehow with physical frequencies turned on, or I could maybe um, separate that RPD from the other five it's combined with and just put it on its own service group. So I can reassign resources uh, and do capacity planning on the fly. I think that's kind of going to be a cool you know, way to you know, quickly change capacity as we do today. Yeah, I mean, it sounds a lot like the the use case that you're talking about, John. It, it sounds like what what is done a lot in in IP networks with like load balancing, where right. you don't you don't know how much traffic something's going to get at different times, but you know that it peaks out, so you put a load balancer in front, and when a lot of traffic hits it, that load balancer naturally just distributes the the you know, the traffic evenly to the different devices behind it. So. Is, is that, I mean, that's kind of what I'm understanding you're describing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the power of going to the distributed access architecture links now instead of, you know, analog optical links, getting rid of all the analog. Uh, now every, all the RPDs are off the digital links. Uh, it could be off a of Metro Ethernet. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you could reassign resources on the fly. Uh, I thought another cool application, uh, our, the CMTSs today are pretty, resilient for Doxis 3.1 profile management. You know, it's it's not crude, but it's the job done. But if we want to take that a step further where, you know, you're doing 4,000 subcarriers, maybe 8,000 subcarriers, just 3.1 block to a cable modem, and you want to monitor the MER of all those subcarriers of every single modem, every 30 seconds or every 20 minutes or every 30 minutes, orchestration or application, yes, to monitor that information and assign profile profiles that are different. Uh, the CMTS can manually, statically create four or five of them, and the cable modem can hold on to, what is it, NVRAM holds on to five, I think. If I want to support 10 different 3.1 profiles, because maybe you have a little bit of roll-off, maybe Tao has... Um, you know, some problems at the low end of the frequency. Maybe I have a problem, uh, a suck out right at 585 megahertz. Maybe someone else has LTE interference at 713 megahertz. So, you know, orchestration just automatically give profiles left and right all over the place. And then if the frequency changes later on, you you understand what I'm saying, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, just to, to add on that, uh, the, uh, the load balancing could also be done on between the Mac and the Fi, right? So, for example, if we have a certain Mac core that has got too many remote Fi devices hang hanging out of, off of it, we can potentially use orchestration to load balance those RPDs to different Mac cores. Uh, part of the strength of remote Fi architecture is that the uh, Mac cores are centralized, potentially in data centers or centralized location, and you are reusing those resources all across your network, right? No matter how far they are. So the load balancing act in this kind of context could also be moving remote Fi nodes between Mac cores that are overloaded, as an example, and that's the, you know preventing uh, congestion, preventing uh, you know uh, kind of limitations on the network uh, that uh, that can come from a static configuration, um, so to speak. And um, and another example, John, I really agree on the uh, profile management side, and I think this is uh, potentially something dear to to Brady's heart. Um, the uh, P the PNM capabilities and the the abilities we're getting from the Doxis 3.1 specs. Are, are ones that we could potentially leverage with additional level of orchestration. Um, as you said, the um, you know the the profiles that can be used on the network 
can be really, you know, can really change on the fly if we want them to. And uh, if, if the network is seeing different types of SNRs, different type of noise uh, in different uh, areas of the spectrum and different times of day, and, th and that can really change throughout the day because the temperature changes, for example, right? There are certain devices that produce more noise if, they're, if it's hotter or if it's colder. So potentially changing those profiles on the fly even throughout a day will allow the operators to get more bandwidth out of their existing plant, right? Getting more bits per hertz based on the just exact, you know, existing architecture and existing infrastructure, the fibers and the coaxes they have, you know, uh, dug deep, they can just get more bits out of that existing network, which is, you know, it's priceless. It's, a, it's an amazing development to be able to do that. So if I'm a field tech, this orchestration is basically like dynamically doing node splits for me when on demand when I need it. If I'm a Doxis engineer, it's basically uh, dynamically adding and deleting CMTSs on demand as I need it. It's managing my 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 modulation profiles for OFDM as I as I need it dynamically. Um, of course, if I'm me and I'm a PNM guru, it's it's also helping me be much more intelligent about the way that I'm managing that. Um, exactly. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get pretty excited about this orchestration. <laughs> so now, so let me, let me take that a step further, right? You know, if we have the ability to move to virtualization as well, right? We talked about that last time, and I'm sure it's going to be discussed in, in the future as well. Um, if you have virtualized Mac core, then your orchestration network can basically spin up new Mac cores on demand. If you see that you don't, uh, you need more um, Mac processing capability out of your network, then your SDN controller can basically just spin up a new virtual machine, right, with the uh, instance of that virtual Mac core, connect that to a new, uh, you know, to, to existing set of RPDs potentially as part of the load balancing mechanism, and boom, you've got a new CMTS basically, and you got a new type of access architecture on the fly and completely automated. Isn't that you know magnificent as a, as an option? So, so it can it can spin it up. I, uh, yeah, that, okay, it's it's getting pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you can just dynamically create it and add it in if you have a licensing, of course. But <laughs> where, where does this? So okay, yeah, go ahead, John. I'm sorry. So we're, we're just. <laughs> <laughs> my my two second delay in my satellite. I have to start my sentence before you even say anything. <laughs> uh, the uh, you're excited about it, but what about the field tech that looks like he's losing his job? There's no RF in the head end. It's all digital. There's no notes. Would argue that that might be part of the job that the techs hate because a note split they have to do from twelve o'clock at night till five in the morning. Uh, you know, so th that might be a good thing. It goes away. Um, so I think when we look at, you know, supporting a cable network, there's enough work to be done that even this automation stuff is just going to alleviate or relieve some pressure so they can get the other stuff done that they usually would do. You know, the optics still need to be done out in the field. Um, Ron Rannick would still argue to still sweep, you know, a, a node plus zero. <laughs> I would say that we could use full bandwidth capture in lieu of actual sweeping, uh, but maybe there's still a case to use, you know, frequency domain reflectometry to find suckouts and reflections. Uh, but we could still use PNM for that stuff as well. Uh, so it's definitely there's going to be a lot of work that's still there for the field techs, the RF techs. The head end techs might transition from a typical head end RF guy to really an IP guy or a digital guy, optics guy. Right. You know, you still have optical levels that need to be maintained. Um, it's not, this stuff isn't, this, this is not Skynet yet. You know, <laughs> this is not uh, Cyberdyne networks. <laughs> no, and a lot of the uh, functionality is going to be basically decision supporting systems, right? Not necessarily uh, ones that will do and execute the change in the network for the operator, but just recommend what they should do, right? Potentially, we would create optimization systems that would say, okay, this node split should be considered for splitting, right? And not necessarily executing that immediately. And in the end, it's going to be a man there that will have to, or a woman, yeah, uh, that will have <laughs> to uh, decide, uh, you know, when is a good time to actually be doing this, uh, this kind of activity. And they will have to kind of harmonize that with the rest of the things that that operator is planning on doing, right? 
So it's going to be a lot of you know decision support systems. Does orchestration also get involved in configurations? A lot of a lot of the equipment now is has the automated attenuators, automated equalizers. Does orchestration get involved in that? So you know, as far as like con changing configuration of the equipment itself. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I am pr pretty positive that's going to go in that direction. The change of configuration is something that should have been long automated, let's put it this way, right? I mean, the fact that we're still using CLI in 2018 these days, it's kind of uh, ridiculous. Uh, a lot of the other industries that that are uh, parallel to ours have gone to to the automation uh, direction. Then we, we must go there ourselves, otherwise we'll lose, uh, you know, we'll lose uh, our, our market to some extent. Um, the, um, the actual automation requires us to change configuration for CMTSs, for amplifiers, for nodes, on an on-the-fly basis, we need to be able to react fast to changing environment, to noises on the um, to noises on the <clears throat> uh, network, and to uh, potential changes in the service that we have to do. Right? For example, uh, an operator, a cable operator, needs to be able to very quickly spin up a new VPN network for a new business customer. They need to automate that because the customer, the uh, the new business customer, will not wait for two weeks until they spin up their new VPN or MPLS network. Right? They need to be automated so that the operators can can offer a more flexible and a faster reaction to the market demands. Sure. So, so Brady, you saw our demo uh, at the STX row with the inode. The inode uh, got away from pluggable uh, EQs, pads. They're all internal, all automated. Um, I foresee that being, you know, I set up my inode according to your specs, your RF output levels, your tilt in, in the manufacturer, in the warehouse. Uh, and then I give it to the, the subcontractor, the contractor, the RF tech to take out in the field and, you know, install it. Um, and then maybe they use a QR reader or something to scan it in and tie it to the lat long uh, GIS location. But it would be all automated pads and EQs. You know, we had for many years very crude, and we still have it, AGC and ALC, automatic level control, based on a single pilot, which, you know, that single pilot, if it goes down, you're screwed for all the other frequencies. So it's like we need something that could monitor, you know, the RF output of maybe every single RF channel uh, and then change everything to be exactly the levels you need. Um, I would say that the upstream is going to be even more of a problem if we go 85 megahertz because of the temperature fluctuations. There's no AGC in the upstream. The only AGC we have in the upstream is the fiber or the cable modems in the CMTS negotiating their levels. So, I mean, 85 megahertz, you can have a big swing at 85 megahertz. Now we're talking 204 megahertz. Now we're talking FDX up to 500, 600 megahertz in the upstream. You know, coax is a killer <laughs> and temperature on coax is a killer. So if we limit our coax, we're much better. Um, you know, if we could control the temperature, that'd be great. But, you know, if we go down that route, we could talk about temperature change. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess that's where I was going with my question about does does this orchestration have the ability to make those changes in the amplifiers? And you know, normally we we would say that would be a bad practice. We why would we you know once we set up and sweep the plant, why would we ever change the pads or the equalizers? Well, I mean, one one concept would be if we had a, a something bad happen to the cable plant where we have a degraded cable and we have modems start to go offline. This, this, this is kind of like the concept of a pre-equalizer in a cable modem where that pre-equalizer mm -hmm. compensates for something that's bad happened to the coax and, uh, or maybe it's in a subscriber's home. The pre-equalizer in a cable modem is changing the way that cable modem is transmitting. It may cause the cable modem to transmit at a higher power so it can compensate. The same thing might be happening in the amplifiers where we, the, with the orchestration, we can see that suddenly all the cable modems have a drop in receive power in the downstream. Right. We don't know why and on a certain leg, but maybe there's damage, a squirrel was chewing on the coax cable. So now we have the ability through orchestration to increase the transmit power on the amplifiers temporarily. Well, so we can get those modems back online and set top boxes until we can go out and find and repair that damaged cable. So, I mean, is, exactly. that, is that something that's well, possible? But you know what's interesting about that, Brady, is because the if we're doing an RPD, remote fly device, 
the RF is being generated right there at the node, we have control of individual RF channels. Not like changing a pad across the spectrum or an EQ to, to tilt. We could control each individual RF output. So right. if we notice that uh, maybe, and, and, and this could be hypothetical, like once we hit 50 or 70% of the modems all reporting the same RF channel bad, maybe the other 30% aren't, but maybe that's enough for me to justify turning it up at the RPD. It might be hitting hot on the other 30%, but the 70% are now getting proper levels. You understand? Like, yeah, yeah, no, no. Maybe I, you have to come up with some type of. Yeah, you're going to have some criteria, and this is where I, I think the you know the machine learning or the intelligence that that Tal mentioned right. that's in the orchestration would come into place and say if if this happens, then we can come in and make some adjustments to get our subscribers back online until we can get a tech out to find out where the problem is, fix the problem. So. Yeah, exactly. That's that's where the integration of different data sets comes in, right? So if you have data points from the amplifiers, from the nodes, from the transceivers inside the head ends, from the edge quams, from the CMTS, if you combine all that those data points together, this is where the real synergy comes in. This is where you start really benefiting from all the data that you have collected because you can cross those data points and know exactly what's wrong. So for example, if you see that a specific TV channel is, is, is showing some, some problems, you can really track that down up until the head end and see whether the problem is with the mixer, with the transmitter, with the actual um, amplifier, right? Is, 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 a, is it a squirrel that uh, chewed it up? And you basically can look at every point down the chain and see the power levels potentially for the the you know the signal that is carrying that channel, and potentially get into even higher level of accuracy on your uh, troubleshooting and even self healing system. Right, you can automate that. Just imagine that you get some report from a few set top boxes in the same neighborhood, and you know where they are, right? Because you know where everybody is located, and you see that everybody got a sudden drop in power because something happened to the actual cable, you can create an automatic reaction for the network, a self-healing network that will automatically just bump up the power, just automatically add a couple of dBs and see if that fixes the issue. Just imagine how, how great would that be? Um, so that is kind of the idea of the self-healing system that is also coming with, with orchestration. And I have to tell you, buddy, that it's not that, that far from reality because we're seeing some, uh, first of all, when we move to node plus, node plus zero architecture, there are less amplifiers down there, right? So less of, an, less of those uh, amplifiers to manage. But it's going to be a while until we reach node plus zero all over the world, obviously. And uh, up until then, we see that some, you know, there are products in the market that are actually offering amplifiers with cable modems in some, inside them, right? Transponders inside the amplifiers, which basically make them a communicating device for every every purpose right you can go and configure them just like John mentioned remotely you can change the settings remotely and you can again fix problems in your network through that very cool very cool so where does orchestration reside like where does the intelligence for orchestration reside in the cable network so it, it resides in, you know, new products, potentially, that will be the, the managers of that network, right? The grandmaster orchestrator or uh, a specific uh, purpose type of orchestrator uh, that would be sitting inside the, uh, the head end, the centralized, uh, I guess, management network of the operator. Uh, and all probability, it's going to be a virtualized product, right? We're going to the virtualization direction. So it's going to be um, some kind of an intelligent manager sitting on a potentially a virtual machine, uh, sitting in off-the-shelf, so, you know, off-the-shelf type of um, server or hardware, potentially, that can, can host it. And we can also scale it, uh, you know, very fast if it's uh, completely virtualized. You can spin up more uh, instances of that manager if you have, uh, if it is completely, completely virtualized. Uh, but, you know, some of those functions already exist in our CMTS and CCAPs today, if you think about it, right? Some of the load balancing mechanisms that we all implemented in our CCAPs and CMTSs are already party, partially SDN type of functionality because we're load balancing physical network elements such as modems or, you know, or, or nodes, etc. And we're changing the way they are configured. We're changing the way they are being set up. So, you know, if we think about it in a more philosophical way, it's all over, right? It's already existing and it's in, in all of the existing products. But the ones that we're talking about now are more specialized and even more intelligent and will be sitting higher up in the hierarchy of the uh, cable operator. 
So, John, if if you so we have load balancing in the CMTS right now, would you envision someday a lot of the functionalities that we you know we would expect in a CMTS or CCAP to be just just take load balancing as Tal just mentioned? Would that would that functionality eventually move to or orchestration and maybe some of the the intelligence that we typically have in a CMTS that just be migrated into orchestration and CMTS's C caps would become yeah. less intelligent? No, definitely. It's not if, it's when. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that has to occur. I mean, it has to. I mean, I'm not afraid of losing my job. <laughs> uh, well, that's you know, good. I got news for you, man. Best practices. Um, so the unique situation I'm in is I, I'm kind of like the liaison, right? I go around all these different systems throughout the world and go back to our own engineers and say, hey, this is what we're seeing with Comcast and Charter and Net in Brazil and Rogers in Canada or whoever uh, and say, you know, we need, here's some default settings on the CMTS. This will get you by. You always keep it simple. You keep it the low hanging fruit. I use all these metaphors for no reason. <laughs> uh, they don't even apply, right? I just throw them out there. Um, <laughs> and so we, we have these defaults, but then when you get in real life, real world situations, we're like, you know, it'd be better to maybe change your parameters to be self-healing. Um, but you always have pros and cons. You got to tell the customer, here's what we could do. Now here's a trade-off. There's a little bit more overhead on the CMTS. There might be a little bit more overhead on your downstream. So your capacity drops a little bit because you're doing more station maintenance or more monitoring, more information transmitting back and forth. Uh, but it'll give you maybe self-healing. It's kind of like you can buy insurance for anything, but you know how much insurance do you really want? So you have to have a, the best of both worlds. You you got to balance it off, compromise. So if I do all these best practices over the years, maybe I don't have to do that next year when automation does it for me. You know, it's going to monitor the health of the plant. Uh, now I might have some best practices of what I would recommend as thresholds that you put into that automation, because the automation, you have to have some type of thresholds that you configure um, to say when I should change my capacity, when I should change my RF levels. You know, we talk about quality of service, but really that was, that's was that been changing, right? We can call it quality of experience, the QOE. You know, I don't care what the capacity is saying on a fiber node, because I don't know if that 85% utilization is 85% on a five minute rolling window or an instantaneous 85 seconds that only occurred for 0.5 seconds. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like how can, is it really congested? Uh, when I used to turn on power boost. You would freeze up. I could have my power boost left again, <laughs> but no one's, no one's complaining. So there's a case where quality of experience was great, but it would indicate I need a, a node split. But that's not true, you know. So I need to test quality of experience. Don't really worry about what capacity is because everyone might be happy anyway. Uh, but then I might say, all right, with quality of experience, I'm seeing some congestion somehow. Upstream congestion is easy to track. Downstream congestion is a little bit more difficult. Uh, but you could monitor information, S&P, MIBs, and OIDs, and then say, all right, when I hit a certain threshold of picking up, add more capacity. Um, I offered a doctor's three one speed. And I'm more concerned about peak rates. And instead of trying to offer an aggregate pipe that's two X of that peak rate, maybe if only one customer is asking for that peak rate, I can get away with 192 megahertz of OFDM block. That'll give me one gig service, but I would never really want to offer that to four customers sharing that, that block. But it's only one customer, so I can afford to only turn on one block. But then when three more customers sign up, quickly turn into two blocks so those four customers can share the two blocks and be better uh, statistical multiplexing, better probability, less you know collisions and all that. So, I mean, that's the case where uh, automation would say, all right, when can I, you talk about spinning up, you know, Mac 5s and stuff like that. I'm spinning up more capacity by just telling the RPD to turn on more RF frequencies. RF frequencies, that's redundant. <laughs> RF signals. <laughs> Hopefully Ron's not <laughs> watching. Myself. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, so I don't actually think that the load balancing function itself will move uh, when you talk about load balancing cable modems inside a service group. I don't think it's going to move, you know, to the orchestrator as we talk about it right now, because it is kind of uh, part of the function that is the uh, CMTS or CCAP or uh, VCCAP type of functionality. And it's important to also keep, you know, those functions uh, uh, inside their uh, the right place where they can bring the value. But what I think is going to be orchestrated are the you know, the level of quality of service, uh, for example, service classes and the actual tiers of service that can be orchestrated from the top thus providing the input to some of that load balancing, right? So potentially if we have a bunch of customers who want to change their SLAs, right? We want to be able to change the uh, the quality of, of service they're getting, or we're seeing that a bunch of customers are seeing bad quality of experience, right? We don't necessarily see the congestion in the network, but we know that the quality of experience at the end point, like the TV that they're watching on Netflix is not good. Then we know that we need to fix something potentially in their service tiers. And we can go in and orchestrate different parameters inside the CCAPs and the cores that, that are in the network to optimize, you know, the, the service and quality of experience for those customers. That's where the, you know, the, actual, uh, the actual benefit is going to come from, from integrating that level of information from, from the top. I, I agree. I, I, I kind of uh, tiptoed around, the, I think, the question to begin with. But uh, yeah, the load balance itself, two O modems, single channel tuners, they got a load balance. I think orchestration, SDN and all this, allows us to optimize the plant so less load balancing is needed. And, and a case in point would be also today, and depending Aris or Cisco, um, what if a modem is an eight channel capable modem and there's 24 downstream channels, so it has three groups of eight to load balance between, DOCSIS 3.0 load balance. What if the modem moves to a higher set of eight frequencies and that house has roll off on the high end? SDN and orchestration could keep track of that modem's signature and say, you know what? I will allow you to load balance, but never to that last group of eight because I know that house has problems at the high end frequency. I'll allow you to load balance between the two groups of eight on the lower end, but exclude yourself from the last group of eight. Today, a lot of that is not smart. The CMTS might say, all right, you can move. Oh, but now you have a CM status message that said you have a problem, so I'm going to put you in partial mode. So now that modem went to seven-channel bonding instead of just staying eight-channel bonding on the lower frequencies. Yeah, or, or it would even be a – it could but get into the failure list – because it tried to move it and it would just be a failure. Correct. But then it might have to fail three to five times before it actually gets excluded from load balance. Yep. And then once it gets excluded from load balance, it might not load balance between the two other groups of eight. It's stuck. It's stuck on its, on its group. Because I have seen that yes. exact scenario happen. So orchestration can keep track of all that and say, it's I know this house, uh, MAC address at Beef Cafe, <laughs> whatever the MAC address is, that's a joke, by the way, dead beef cafe. Um, so that, what it, that MAC address, I know his signature for his house, and I can make his own group or load balance group just for him. Yeah, that, that would actually be a, a, you know? seemingly a much more intelligent way of, of handling it. So who is driving orchestration? Is this being done specifically by vendors is it being done is it a standard being done by cable labs what who, who's making these specific decisions of oh we'll handle load balancing in in orchestration or we'll handle load balancing in in the cmts or oh we're going to start handling cable or a, a node and amplifier transmission increases when modems go offline like those are really really complex and critical decisions for a network so it who, who's, who's making these decisions? So, so first of all, I do think that the, um, the driver is just emerging from the need of cable operators to simplify their network, right? To automate as many procedures as possible and to make it easier to use. Um, they just need, you know, help with managing their network. As I said earlier, the distributed access architecture devices out there are just becoming too many to efficiently manage without automation and orchestration tools. 
So in order to really make use of the new technologies that, that we're coming up with on the access side, it really must come with another you know, set of tools on the orchestration and network management level to really be able to benefit from, from, uh, from that new technology. So our, you know, customers, operators, um, you know, all over the world are, are asking for, for additional tools to do things more, more, uh, more intelligently. Uh, there are no cable apps specs per se in terms of the uh, orchestration of the network, right? When we talk about network orchestration, then it becomes a much, um, you know, kind of access agnostic type of question. You need to manage a network, whether it's DSL, it's access, it's cable access, it's, you know, it's PON. You need to be able to manage a complete network. And for that, there are some specs that are uh, mentioned earlier, the, um, the ONAP, the MANO, the ONOS type of, uh, you know, products out there. So a lot of different specs that exist to try to define at least the protocols and the interfaces between the different machines in that, um, you know, in that uh, domain. So it's starting to come up and, you know, starting to arise as, as specs, but in our cable industry, it's, it's, too, it's, it's still far from that because every device is speaking another language, right? We all part of, uh, we're, uh, John and I are, are part of the vendors that are basically doing that, right? Creating boxes that speak their own proprietary language to some extent. Some of us, you know, some of the boxes, talks, you know, speak the uh, Doxus MIBs according to the Cable Lab spec, which is really good and it's a good start but there are still a lot of proprietary interfaces out there. So there's still not, you know, not standardization, not a valid standardization out there that we can use to make orchestration work. So every orchestration solution that is being built by one of the uh, CCAP vendors or by other companies needs to be able to talk to a series of different devices with their own proprietary interfaces, which you know brings in one of the bigger challenges of actually orchestrating the network, right? You need to be able to, to speak to 10 types of devices, each one of them speaking a different uh, type of protocol or MIBs or CLI commands. So hence, you know, one of the challenges for, for getting an efficient solution in that, uh, in that area. Do either of you see this being something that MSOs will drive to be standardized, to, to become like a, a orchestration spec? I, if I were an MSO, I would do that years ago because I think there's a lot of value for, uh, you know, standardizing the interfaces to different boxes, right? Uh, NetConf and Yang models have been uh, discussed and were originally part of the, of the CCAP spec, if, if you remember that, the uh, CMAP, CCAP, uh, Caesar, uh, whatever name you call, each one of them had um, and uh, had a, a chapter that referred to this uh, NetConf, Yang type of model to talk to a CCAP. That never really happened, right? We, our, our, us vendors, didn't really implement that because it was not needed. It was not high in our priority list uh, to do that. But eventually, if we really want to be able to orchestrate the network in a unified way, there was going to have to be some kind of standardization, or at least a common ground of you know for all of us to be talking the similar language. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, you talk about who's driving this, Brady? To MSOs. I mean, it's an open market. Um, supply demand. The demand comes from the MSOs. The MSOs say, hey, we would like this. It, it ends up showing up in an RFQ. Um, and then we all bid against each other for the business. Uh, who can support what? And what, maybe some of it's proprietary. Uh, but, you know, it would be nice if there was inter real interoperability. You know, that there, that's a great thing about what standards is there's so many of them. <laughs> there's, there's so many standards, but they're not really standards. So uh, I guess it's an oxymoron at that point. Yeah, pick, pick and choose uh, what you want to ironic. support in the standard. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And I thought it was kind of funny. I heard, I think one of the MSOs went to Cable Lab and said, hey, can I amplifier housings and, and node housings. I'm like, a little late to the game, isn't it? <laughs> For 50 years. <laughs> I think more than that. <laughs> Yeah, and we're going to node plus zero. So, you know, maybe the node itself, you know, fit form factor and all that. I know we're all the, the standard for power is there, meaning they're trying to push for what less than 160 watts per fiber node. So it's into a small area. That's the big thing about you know the remote Mac Phi. If we put the Mac in the node, it's gonna be what's going to happen with the power requirement? Yep. Yeah, concerning. So, 
So where do you um what what is the the uh uh the 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 glass uh, so I can't I can't think of the analogy the there uh crystal ball <laughs> the crystal ball thanks Sean you're you are the man with the analogies <laughs> what does the crystal ball say the the future is Give yourself one of those little magic eight ball yeah. <laughs> get one of those magic eight balls I need it one of those. No. <laughs> so so what's the future now I mean there there's a lot of cool things here you guys have talked about with orchestration what does the future say like you guys said, can you can you can you kind of project what what are even more cool things with orchestration? Have you can you elaborate on the roadmap a little? Yeah, I think that we're going to start seeing that more and more. You know, starting this year already uh, with different set of functions. There's not going to be you know wham bam thank you ma'am type of solution that hey I'm going to put it in and it's going to manage my entire network. No, that's not the way it's going to work, right? Um, it's going to be a type of a growing solution, a type of evolution. We will add more functions that will orchestrate different types of uh, pieces in the network, right? Different segments of functionality. So the example for management of RPDs, right, remote-fied devices out there is going to be a good start. Um, we will add, you know, profile management for Doxus 3.1. All of those are, you know, certain pieces of the puzzle that will add more and more orchestration. So we gradually are going to see more automation and more orchestration introduced into the network and, you know, becoming more and more, more, and more intelligent. And as I said earlier, the more data points we have from the network, the more collection points we have, the better synergy it will be and the better type of value that we will get from those types of orchestrators when as, as much as they can pull more points uh, in the network. So I think it's going to be an, an, evol an evolution, not as much a, a revolution. So it's going to be incrementally growing in terms of the, uh, the usages um, of the orchestration solutions until we get to a point where it's really more and more automated and almost, you know, self-healing, self-managing type of system, which is kind of further into the future, right? Uh, it's more of an Elon Musk kind of uh, vision, I would say. <laughs> uh, Elon would be happy. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I agree. I mean, you're not going to rip out an existing HFC plant publicly traded company on wall street <laughs> you know it's just going to cost way too much money uh and then your stocks are going to drop and blah 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 so you're going to uh, almost cherry pick and some people would argue well i can cherry pick gpon and epon and some people have right you cherry pick a customer that wants to do business from their home and you do an epon solution if you have the back office for it and everything else every epon i don't know um but for very fast Doxus 3.1 speeds and compete against GPON and look at the price points. You already have an HFC plant. Maybe you only upgrade one leg of a node, one node to RPD. Um, and that gives you the capability to do higher modulation for 3.1 just for that section of your cable plant. And then you just keep upgrading as you go. Um, so that would be you know, evolving your network, pay, pay as you go. Play. See metaphors, just throwing them out there. <laughs> Pay as you grow, whatever it is. So I That's see true. that, but you know, talking about you know, the crystal ball, the magic eight ball, whatever. The, um, the Internet of Things. Internet of Things is like everything is connected in your home, and people have talked about this years ago about you know, pulling your car into the garage, the car automatically connects to your network. The car downloads the latest songs and emails into your car. Uh, maybe maps updates to the car itself. Uh, your dog gets updates. <laughs> the dog get, the dog updates might be you know just the, the tags and stuff and uh, around. Out in the, <laughs> I don't know, but you get the idea. Is there's a lot more devices that are connected to the network. Make sure the network is automated enough to provide provide capacity and IPv6 and everything else. From a, from a security standpoint, I can see huge opportunities there where you could start pushing all the latest security updates to every device that's connected to the Doxis network. That would be huge. I mean, exactly. firmware updates to modems, all, yeah, all the things that we're, the, that we're struggling with now. You're talking about security of devices like... Uh, uh, attacks on your devices, cyber attacks, and also security of your house, yes. home security, home automation. Especially when so you, you bring have, up, uh, and that could be the killer app. 
Yeah, I mean, bringing up IoT, but even just down to the cable modems, <laughs> where you know, if, if we could orchestrate that to, for operators to make sure that, uh, you know, when Aris or when Cisco releases the, the, the next security update, that that's, that's quickly pushed out and, and ensured that it's also very well tested. Um, the, yep. the, that type of orchestration. And, and if it's not, if there's a problem when it's pushed out, that it's immediately rolled back. Those are those are the types of things that that could be I see be very well orchestrated, um, because right now we you know we know that there's security device there's many devices out there that have holes in them, and uh, people are worried about pushing firmware updates out because we have issues. So right. So imagine that you do that uh, for cable modems today to some extent, and you're limited on that on that front, you would be able to do that for remote fire devices, remote magnified devices, right? To download the software upgrade that will prevent the security hole that you may have, or run another level of validation on those cable modems to prevent this latest attack, right? The ability to configure things, download software versions to those devices is a very powerful thing we'll all benefit from. Yes, absolutely. So any, any final thoughts on... Uh on orchestration. <laughs> I think we used up our analogies, but um, just again, to emphasize on the point, it's definitely not, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not a revolution, it's going to be an evolution. So operators and vendors are gonna be have to, having to pick and choose which automation functions and which orchestration functions will provide the most value in the short term and apply them already, you know, this year, next year. And later on, grow on based on those um, on those in, um, kind of uh, automation functions that are already introduced into the network. All the infrastructure of those automation uh, functions and collect more information, make it more and more intelligent, up to a point where it's you know a really intelligent network manager. John, anything from your side? Um. You know, you're talking about analogies and metaphors and all that. And you and I both worked at, you know, Secor Electronics way back in the day. And there was an engineer one time that says, you know, John, if we make everything idiot proof, you have more idiots that work on it. So my concern uh, is when we make things all automated and then we forget what's really happening in the background, we lose sight of, you know, the basics. And this is why Ron will have a job forever, teaching <laughs> the basic RF stuff from soup to nuts, you know, going through it all um, and explaining what's really going on. Because if everything is automated and you don't understand that that automation has the wrong parameters in it, you might not question it. You know, we've had cases where people would do an FCC proof and say, oh, this node came out with a 60 dB uh, CNR. It's perfect. It passes. I'm like, wait a minute. If it's too good to be true, then you should be questioning why it's 60 when a fiber node with a 10 dB optical link budget should only get like a 48 or a 50, you know, according to the spec. So how is it getting a 60? Obviously, you did it wrong, but they don't question it, right? Because they got the good numbers. So you, we need people to understand how things still work and not just throw people at it once it gets automated. Um, so we still need the expertise. We still need education. And this is not going to be a blur for SCTE, but SCTE has their continuing credits and all their courses and all that. And most of that stuff is automated. <laughs> it's online anyway. So people can stay up to date with uh, what's going on with some of the technology and backtrack to the basics. Yep. Good point. It's everyone still needs to be shown where the power button is. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind the wizard behind the curtain. That's right. So, hey, if uh, if operators want to learn more or find out more information on orchestration, is is it just they go to your company's website, to Cisco, to Aris's website? Is that the best place to go right now, or are there are there is there any public places that you can learn more about orchestration? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't uh, I don't have a good recommendation on that one. There are a lot of um, I guess uh, articles in the uh, cable. Uh, cable uh, industry news about the different types of approaches to that. Uh, we do have some, you know, some material on our website and eras.com, um, some uh, white papers, some presentations, uh, but it is kind of in the, uh, the, in the early phases of this orchestration. So it's a lot of, you know, CTO type of talk and uh, kind of uh, ideas for, for the great, greater good we're going to be able to, to provide with this network, but not as many 
uh, product. So I can't really give you a, you know, a data sheet just yet for, for this kind of product. Okay. Yeah, I would say Brady, uh, the best online one is uh, Google. <laughs> <laughs> just Google it. Yeah. Google it. All right. Well, Tao and John, thank you so much. This was really, really fascinating and I think a great topic. I'm going to look forward to see how this emerges. Um, our next episode, next month, is going to be All Things Spectrum Analysis with Larry Wilcott from Comcast. So tune in next month. Uh, we do our very best to bring you some good technical content every month. Um, if you like watching this episode, please click on the subscribe button or follow us on your favorite podcaster for our audio-only episode. Um, again, thanks for tuning in. Tao, John, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate your subject matter expertise on the topic. And so, everyone, have a great weekend. We'll see you later. Bye, all. It's a pleasure. Pleasure as usual.